This is Sermons by the Park from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and I want to thank you for listening and taking the time to hear the message and the good news of Jesus Christ that we have to offer here at Union. Our current sermon series is called Courageous because faith in Jesus is not simply about what we believe, but about putting those beliefs into action. And that takes courage. Here's this week's message. The first scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalm 76. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war, Selah. Glorious are you, more majestic than the everlasting mountains. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. None of the troops were able to lift a hand. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. But you indeed are awesome. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still when God rose up to establish judgment to save all the oppressed of the earth. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 22, the first 14 verses. Here Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. He is speaking to uh, the temple authorities, the chief priests and the elders there. He has been telling them and teaching them through parables. And so we will hear him teaching through a parable here. Let's listen for God's word for us here today. Once again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they wouldn't come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it, and they went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his troops and destroyed the murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. The servants went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both the good and the bad. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in and saw the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. He said to him, friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. 
And the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me now in a moment of prayer. Let us pray together. Speak, holy God, for your people are here listening. Our hearts hunger for your word today. Our minds may wrestle with the difficulties of your teaching in parables. So, God, we pray today for your spirit to bridge my words and our understanding so that we may together hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, may the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. For the past few weeks, we have been considering together the meaning and the importance of courage in the life of faith. We heard about courage, that it is not the denial or the elimination of fear, but the ability to feel fear and move toward the goal in spite of it. Last week, we heard how courage is a habit or a disposition that we develop through practice, through doing, not simply by hearing about it. Now, when it comes to courage, some people think there's a difference between physical courage, which is what it takes to do something like go skydiving or or a soldier going into battle, and something called moral courage. Moral courage is the courage to exercise one's conscience and stand up for what one knows to be right, doing the right thing, bending the arc of the universe towards justice, in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., That takes moral courage. But I don't think this is a particularly helpful distinction for us because it turns out that moral courage is a lot like physical courage. If you have skin in the game, if you stick your neck out, you run a risk of being harmed, not just spiritually, but but in your very being. When in 1987, the engineer, Roger Beaujolais, vociferously argued against the launch of the Challenger space shuttle because of the potential he saw for a catastrophic accident, he exercised moral courage. And then later, when he testified to the select committee in Congress about that decision, about the objections of the engineers, and about the fact that NASA went forward with the launch anyway, despite those objections, He was again acting on the motives of his conscience, that the public needed to know about this story of what had really happened. But what did he get for all of that moral courage? He was essentially blackballed at his company, Morton Thiokol, basically was run out of the company, and after that couldn't find work for a number of years. He suffered significant difficulty and trauma, both in his career and in his personal life. The whistleblower is rarely lauded as a hero in the moment. Yet today, Roger Beaujolais is remembered for his courage. Back then, he was just a traitor. How a company or a community deals with betrayal is a difficult thing. It is, in some sense, one of the questions that this parable is seeking to address. But the other question, and the one most concerning to us, I think, is whether and how to be morally courageous, to put ourselves on the line on behalf of what is right and what is just, to bend the arc of the moral universe towards justice. 
This parable of the kingdom of heaven reminds us, first and foremost, that there is such a thing as justice, that there is such a thing as goodness and rightness. The kingdom of heaven is like a king. We're reminded today of the grand scope and grandeur of God's sovereignty. God has the power to call people. God has the power to choose people. It is God and God alone who offers salvation from the ills of this world. And it's the responsibility of those who would serve this God to carry that message faithfully into the world. Standing here today, I, the church, none of us have either heaven or hell to put anyone in. That is fundamentally God's business. But if you are concerned, perhaps, by the language of judgment, of outer darkness and gnashing of teeth, well, the good news here today is that God is not only a strong and sovereign ruler of the universe, God is a gracious ruler. God is so gracious indeed that not once, but twice and three times the king extends the invitation to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. God sticks her neck out by offering this invitation to include humankind in God's kingdom of heaven. God democratizes the cosmic drama of salvation for us, including the masses in the beloved community, in the vision of justice and peace. God makes this invitation and then, and then sends out the servants to make sure that it was received. It's one thing to send the initial invitation, but to, but to actually make sure that it was received, that people know on the day of the event that they are called, that they are invited, that they are welcomed. God makes doubly sure that the people know that. In the grand history of salvation, God sent prophets to the people of Israel. Having called them his people, God sent the prophets to lead them from slavery to freedom and then to teach them to choose righteousness and to live in the light of God's glory. God sent the prophets again when the people strayed from that way. The prophets reminded the people that they may have initially agreed to their invitation, but they needed to stick to that agreement, that the covenant with God is not a one-and-done thing, but a commitment to a shared life. When the prophets weren't heeded and the kingdom of Israel fell into corruption and decay and was swallowed up by empire after empire, the powers and principalities of the world seemed to have displaced the power of the Prince of Peace in the minds of the people of Israel. Yet in that moment, God still loved the world so much that God sent a son into the world the old saying goes that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. In that sense, God's persistence in reaching out to humanity again and again and again, that has a touch of insanity to it, I think. But that's the thing about courage. Courage is a lot closer to foolhardiness and foolishness than it is to common sense and good reason. God persists in calling people to go and to share the good news of God's grace in the world, not just with words, but with their actions. God has the servants prepare a banquet, a feast, a place where spiritual and physical hungers from this world may be fed. And then God calls people, calls servants to go forth and find people 
to eat that feast. But the parable says that those who receive the invitation first, the people we would expect to be the ones to respond most readily, what happens in the end is they choose to do otherwise. One goes back to his farm. I mean, who needs a free meal and free drinks when you have your own farm? He's got his own fatted calf back home that he can slaughter. He's got his own servants and serfs who will fulfill his needs. He doesn't need what God is offering. Another goes about his business, it says. The scripture says that these folks were making light of God's invitation, that they didn't give it much weight. They didn't recognize the gravity of what they were turning down. Instead, they just went about their business. They went off to the soccer game or the football tailgate or the vacation or the comfy bed. And friends, I would be lying to you today if I didn't count myself among those who have felt that temptation, who have made light of God's invitation at one time or another. But such is the grace of God that God persists in reaching out persists in reaching out even when we fail to respond. I give thanks that every single week there is a day set aside where we are given the opportunity to come and to worship, to bring our whole selves and our whole hearts to be in the presence of God. I give thanks that we get that opportunity every week because some weeks maybe we just don't feel it. Maybe some weeks we make light of that opportunity. There isn't a cost It doesn't mean there isn't a cost of of ignoring that invitation, though. Jesus said the king gets enraged at those who reject and persecute his messengers. It's not that God excuses poor judgment and disrespect of those who are called. Far from it. God, when people reject God's grace, God calls it out. God speaks with clarity that though you may own much, that you may be very busy, that you may be a world traveler and a productive member of society, that you may be all the things of this world that seem satisfying. The choice to reject God is ultimately a choice to reject the fundamental worth and value that matters most. The king says those who were invited were not worthy. In the eyes of the world, the farmer, the businessman, they were worthy. They were valuable. They were productive and good members of society. But in God's eyes, they were not. And this is not mean-spirited. It is not some sort of unjustified condemnation. It's just a simple fact. They have failed to recognize their worth. We make ourselves less worthy when we make ourselves too worldly. But what then does God do? What does God do? Does God stop extending grace to the world? No. God has the moral courage to once again open wide the gates, and this time to bring in folks from the highways and the byways, from the main streets, the people who were not on the original guest list, the people who were not the ones you would expect to be there. Instead, these are the people who come when they are called. And that is what makes them worthy, their response to the invitation of God. The servants went out, they gathered all the people they could. They called and welcomed anyone, anywhere on life's journey. Good and bad, it says. They came. 
Righteous and unrighteous, sinner and saint, faithful, believer, unchurched, atheists, they were all invited, and they came, and they filled the wedding hall. And friends, if you are here today, you are one of those people who has been called. If you're here, you are seated in the wedding hall at the banquet table. And today on this World Communion Sunday, we recognize and we remember that the table is much longer and much wider and seats many more than we can possibly imagine. The wedding hall is the whole world. It's quite the venue. Must have had to book it really far in advance. It was customary in those days that when you came to a wedding, especially a, a, a wedding thrown by a rich ruler, everyone there would be given a special wedding robe to put on. It's not like today where you have to go out and you have to drop a few hundred bucks on a nice suit or a nice dress to wear to the wedding. No, in those times, the suit and the dress would have been provided to you. Presumably, when the servants went out with the invitations, they probably went bringing the robes with them to say, here, here's your wedding robe for tonight, only to be met with, uh, I'm sorry, I have other plans. But that's the thing. That's the thing when... Those folks out in the highways and byways, when the servants went to them, they came and offered them a robe, and they were welcomed into the heavenly banquet. The prophet Isaiah said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The Apostle Paul picks up this way of talking about what God offers us when he says in Romans 13, that we are to clothe ourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3, it says, Since you have taken off your old self and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator, now there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, the letter goes on to say, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Friends, these are not just Street clothes, these are not just church clothes. This is not just Armani. This is the grace of God. When we put the ways of the world behind us, we come into the presence of God and we are clothed in a new way. That's what, what's offered to us as we gather around this table. We gather at this banquet. Not only are we fed, but we are clothed by Christ. That's not just about looking our best. It's about being our best with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And that's good news. That is good news for us, friends, because those are a good look for humankind. But perhaps you're still wondering about that person who wasn't wearing the robe, the one whom the king goes over and calls out and says, hey, why aren't you wearing a wedding robe? And the man is speechless. And so he's cast out, out of the 
warm, joyous atmosphere of the wedding banquet into the outer darkness, it says. The message of this parable seems to be that many are called, but the chosen are few. But the thing is, is that of all those guests there, there was only the one person. The one person who refused, perhaps, to take to heart the fullness of the invitation. They said, I'll show up and I'll eat your food. I'll show up and I'll drink your drink, but I won't put on the robe. I won't be clothed in humility and kindness and compassion and gentleness. And so God sees that too. Many did refuse the king's invitation. Many did persecute the king's messengers. There was that person who wasn't fully committed. But think of all of the rest who had been gathered that day. Think of all of the unique people, Gentile and Jew, sinner and saint, good and bad, all these people, all unique, all individually created as an expression of the image of God, all of them gathered there, clothed in the same clothing of Christ's righteousness and grace. That is the kingdom of heaven, friends. In the revelation to John, he sees in heaven a vast and numberless multitude of people, robed in white, singing praises to God. The God who gathered that heavenly chorus with tenors and sopranos and altos and basses from every time and place, numberless, numberless people. That is the glorious vision that we have a taste of today on this World Communion Sunday. And so today, today we are given the opportunity to stand with God not, not in the way we judge or exclude, but rather those whom we welcome and include. Not with those who are persecuted and betrayed, but rather with those who forgive and seek unity. Because the radical welcome of Jesus, if it is really to be a radical welcome, requires a kind of courage. A kind of courage to stick your hand out, to stick your neck out to a stranger, for a friend, for a family member, for an enemy even, be they good or bad and to welcome them, and to say, though, that God sees their worth, and God wants them to be part of a loving and beloved community. God wants them to be clothed in the righteousness and the kindness and the goodness of Christ. And if, and if they don't have that clothing with them, well, the good news is, friends, God has grace enough to provide it for us. May we find that courage both individually and as a community here today. May we find that courage to be that kind of radically welcoming, loving, and beloved community here at this table. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope that this week's message has been a blessing to you. It has been a blessing to share it with you. To learn more about Union, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or you can follow us on social media by looking for at Church by the Park. Our theme music is by Anno Domini Beats. Until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.